Welcome to Fostering Change. Today we are talking to Jess and Britt from Philadelphia area in Pennsylvania, and they learned about comfort cases by reading Rob Shear's book, and they were interested in becoming foster parents, and they came to comfort cases a couple months ago and had done a donation drive, brought a whole bunch of donations here to the center. We met them, and we said, we need to have you on the podcast. I do remember that day, by the way. I do remember that day. Absolutely, and they were just finishing up, I believe, the process of becoming foster parents. So now you are, you haven't gotten your first placement yet, but you're getting ready for that. So Jess and Britt, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you thank for you having guys us. So much. You know, it's pretty exciting. So we're, we've been really lucky, I mean, I to have so many volunteers come in, but I thought it was kind of crazy that you guys drove, um, it's a couple of hours for you guys to get from where your home base is to our, our national center in Rockville, Maryland. So the fact that you guys drove down, you did a donation drive, um, it, it was I first of all, I could not tell you how grateful I was um, to know that you know our stretch when it comes to comfort cases and how many people out there really, really want to do something. So I have tons of questions for both of you. But one of the questions that I, I've been I've been dying to ask is when I was told this interview was going to take place is you know I talk a lot in our book uh, Forever Family Fostering Change One Child at a Time. I really pull the band aid off when it comes to a lot of things that we're not told about as becoming foster parents or even even going down that path and an example is um i met i was at i was at a function on friday um being the keynote speaker at an event and a woman walked up to me afterwards and she said that she had just finished her and her wife had just finished doing the foster care classes and um they actually had just finished the orientation only the orientation part and that they were they walked away so scared and they walked away with such sadness in their heart from everything they read from my book what was the difference between what you guys went through and maybe some of the things you read in our book of forever family boy i think um first it's just good to recognize that you know these topics are really heavy um <laughs> so for people to feel those emotions i think first of all it's it's good for people to feel them. I think it uh, touches people in a way that actually moves them to action in a lot of ways. Um, and I think it's good that all of us that are in the foster care system as parents, um, you know, it's good that we don't lose touch with those feelings because it, it makes the process, it keeps the process, I guess I should say, human. Um, I, I think that mostly, uh, I do think it, it takes a certain kind of person. I don't think that by any stretch, Brittany and I think that we're special to be becoming foster parents. Um, but I think that you do kind of have to get into uh, a space where um, you accept the past of these children and you want to help build a brighter future for them. And so the emotional stuff that comes with it, you got to find ways to work through, um, which is, you know, what Brittany and I have done. And I think in reading your book, uh, it again just reminded us that this is a very real thing. These are very real kids going through this, and we have the ability to uh, care for them in a way that other people may not, and we wanted to do that. I think we generally felt like this whole thing was kind of laid on our hearts. You hear a lot of people say um, maybe they... uh, heard or or felt that way from 
um, knowing people through like a church or a congregation or um, you know all sorts of ways. But we really kind of had investigated it ourselves, and as soon as we started, we felt like uh, it was for us to do it. Yeah, I, I'd like to kind of mention too. I think reading your book, Rob, really helped us to when we were first considering going down this process. I think I went to Barnes and um, grabbed every book I could on the subject, <laughs> and uh, yours was the one that spoke to us the most. Um, just your insight, and um, it, it just kind of helped put a perspective around the whole system that I don't think most people could even give. So yeah. we'd really like to thank you for that. Well, thank you. It's, it's not about thank, but thank you for that. You know, one of the things that, that as a matter of fact, just yesterday, no, yesterday was I, my weeks are all, just Sunday, I had a um, foster father reach out to me um, that I have kept in touch with. Um, he had, him and his wife, um, they have taken an older child in they um they were very much like Reese and I and I think like the both of you it wasn't you know we were just like okay we really would want we want a younger child but you know when the call came and for instance we now have a 19 year old and I think when the call came for them to have the older child um it, it was their heart that was pulled and and you know very much like and I'm, I I talk about this quite often children who come into the system come in with a lot of baggage they come in with a lot of baggage and they come in with a lot of baggage because we have put that baggage on them. And then all of a sudden they come into a home and we, th we want them to th say, Oh, look at this. You have your own room now and you, you know, can have clothes whenever you want them and you can open up a refrigerator and get food whenever you want that food. But that doesn't take away the baggage that they come from. So for instance, we have a son in and out of residential facility. I talk about it. I'm very open about it. My other friends, they have kids who have been in and out of residential facilities. You know, therapy, we, you know, I talk about this quite often. We love therapy. I, I, I hate to do the what if, but I got to tell you, what if? What if your, this child, some child, a child who, who is connected with you comes in and you realize, you know what? This child needs more than what we're able to give. Talk to me about that, how you feel, because that was probably one of the hardest things for us. You know, and again, you're one of the first families that I've really opened up about this. You know, we have five kids now, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 15-year-old, and a 19-year-old. And one of my children, um, you know, for the first many years, never never showed any signs whatsoever um, that there would be more treatment needed. But now we've realized that, you know, there's more treatment that's been needed. And, and having to, to come to that grips as a parent to say, I can't do it all. Um, are you prepared for that? Yeah, I think, um, well, probably the real answer is initially it's scary and uh, sad. Um, so certainly see where people might say, uh, no, I'm really not ready for that. But I think that we, you know, chose an agency, we, we vetted agencies um, that we felt would support us um, in all facets, facets of this journey. So if, you know, ultimately, you know, Brittany and I want the best for these kids and we can't control the past. So 
we want to be able to give them everything they need to have a successful and happy life. And so I think we would both be very uh, open and we would probably be trying to do everything that we could to provide them services to stay in our home. But once it reaches that point, um, you know, you have to do what's in the best interest of the child. Yeah, I think a lot of the the process of going through approval is um, like having that inner conversation with yourself about, you know, what can you handle? What can you actually give? And that's not an easy conversation to have because um, you, you really have to dig deep and and I think you find that you can handle a lot more than you, you're capable of, but um, the the reality is the, the system wants to punch you in the face every time it, it can. Um, so it's it's not an easy, easy journey, and, and we're just in the beginning of it, and I, the amount of tears we've shed already, uh, <laughs> uh, I think we're in for, in for a a wild ride but and it is, I can't imagine not doing it at this point yeah it is a wild ride you know I just was reading a Twitter the other day from a, a um, foster mother who has I've known her for years she's been a foster parent for years and she says when are we going to realize um, something is wrong when we see such the decline in people becoming foster parents? And where we're also seeing, and this is the, the scary number, we're seeing foster parents who, who just choose to become foster parents, and we're only seeing a, um, we're seeing less than a 40% retention rate after the first year of parents being foster parents. And, and, and I feel, and again, I say this to Dane all the time. It's just my opinion, and my opinion doesn't really matter most of the time. But I truly believe it's because we do not educate our foster parents, nor do we give them support um, to make sure that they understand the journey that they're going on. And that is something that I think that we, we as foster parents, we as humans, um, we need to make sure that we're doing, is that we're educating our public about these children, and that we're also making sure that we're giving them services from the very beginning that we've walked in. Dana, we've talked to you and I've had this conversation before. Absolutely. Yeah. And whether or not parents are prepared for just all the different aspects of what they're going to have to deal with and the resources for them too. Like I feel like there just aren't enough resources for parents to go to when they need that help. And I think we've talked about that before too. Yeah. And the thing is, is it gets what really gets me is if you're not out there advocating for your child. And by the way, whether this child is a child from the system or a child that you have delivered, you know, naturally to or whether you've no matter what, we all should be advocating for our children at the end of the day. But there's got people have to understand there is a big difference, a huge difference when it comes to advocating for kids from the foster care system because they don't want to give those services and they and I I can only go by my story and the story that I've seen so many and I can tell you right now the story of my my oldest son right now that I I'm even experiencing this is where it's like you know I'm a firm believer that first of all if a child is taken away from their parents and I and people get shocked all the time I'm not for I'm I'm not for taking kids from their parents I feel like that that should be the last resort I feel like the only way a child should be removed from their parents is if there is 
you know, abuse. And, and if there is neglect, the fact is, is whose definition of neglect? And, you know, what can we do to support that family to keep them together? But if a child comes into the system, the very first thing that needs to happen is that child needs to go to therapy immediately. And therapy must continue. Tenue. You know, I have a I have a, a story that, you know, I won't mention any names, but I, I know of a, uh, one particular person who has had, I think, like she's had something like 11 homes. And I mean, her story is just I mean, it I, I think about my book. I mean, her story. But literally when she turned, I think she was like 14 or maybe 13, she decided that she didn't want to do therapy. Um, And the social worker um, was like, okay, you don't have to do therapy. And so now this young girl who is in her her 20s. Um, she's reached out to me because, you know, I try to stay in touch and be in part of as many groups of kids who have aged out of the system. And this poor girl, um, she doesn't know how to form relationships. This girl doesn't know how to deal with her anger. This girl does not know how to deal with the fact of what her past was and being able to, by the way, I said this to a young boy just on my Sunday, Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you say that they did what they did was okay. Forgiving someone is forgiving yourself. She's not able to do that. So I see that if we would have just been like, hey, listen, you're going to therapy, young lady. (laughs) You're 13 years old. You might not think it's worth it now, but you will when you're 21. And, And I think that that's something that we don't do as a society is make sure that these kids get the proper therapy. Therapy. Yeah, I mean, parenting's hard, um, so it's it's a constant, you know, um, battle. I think for uh, probably some people more than others about um, your kid maybe challenging you back, but that's your job. That is what you have signed up to do if you're a parent. And we always kind of mention too, uh, again, sort of like you noted, Rob. If someone has a child biologically, if someone's fostering a child, I mean, there's all sorts of um, developmental stuff that happens with kids and so no matter what you you never know quote unquote what you're going to get um when kids especially going through puberty and things like that that um and kids change and develop and you need to be present for them and so it's not always easy and they might hate it but if it's the right thing for their health their mental health and their future you you know you have to see it through yeah, I agree with you. And let me tell you, you know, the fact that you two are getting ready to be new parents and, and uh, you're my heroes, by the way, um, my heroes, uh, every single person who decides to open up their door to a child who is in the system, I consider a hero. But, you know, it's funny. I saw something on social media the other day and I just pulled it up because I want to read this um, because it, this is I say this to my kids. My husband says this to my kids, my promise to my children. And by the way, These kids, whether people want to say foster, they're your children. From the moment they walk into your house, they are your children. But my promise to my children, as long as I live, I am your parent first, your friend second. I will stalk you. I will flip out on you. I will lecture you. I will drive you insane. I will be your worst nightmare and and hunt you down like a bloodhound when needed because I love you. 
When you understand that, I will. If, when you understand that, I will know you are a responsible adult. You will never find someone who loves, prays, and cares and worries about you more than I do. If you don't hate me once in your life, I'm not doing my job properly. You know, I I read that and actually had my husband print that out and um. It, Tonight, and my kids don't listen to my podcast, which I don't know why not, uh, <laughs> I'm laying in on all of their beds because I want them to understand as their parent, it is my job to be that person. It's not my job to be their friend. And kids who are in the system need that more than ever. They truly do. They, they do. And I think um, kind of to your point about um, the supports that are not necessarily there for um for foster parents and, and such coming in. I mean, we also just in general need more programming um, that embraces things that are different. So, um, you know, for, we're very lucky in our community. We happen to have an art-based therapy program um, that kids can participate in that have gone through um, different types of trauma. And so, you know, we will definitely be engaging with that program. But there's not there's not always those support groups. Uh, there's not always the programming or the education that's needed. And, uh, you know, that would certainly help. Yeah, you know, I, I have to tell you that that is true. I mean, we're very much like you. We live in an area that, you know, we could actually find those um, those opportunities. But, you know, as we know, in rural America, um, in so many other states, you know, our poor state of West Virginia, where the funding is completely dried up, they don't have those. You know, I want to I want to change things a little bit, um, you know, because I'm going to talk about it. It's it's something that I think that the only way we educate people is by talking about things. Um, I was just recently reading an article a couple of weeks ago about a young child from the system who went and did a weekend visit and it happened to be a same-sex couple and they had an amazing weekend and the very following week the young child from the system went to the social worker and said you know um i I just i I can't i really can't deal with the same sex part um we never had that issue and even though we did have an older child when our our young oldest son who was 18 who arrived in our home it was something that we actually asked him i mean we flat out came and said hey you do know the whole fact that you know were same-sex marriage, and he laughed and said, oh, yeah, I think I saw that when I met you too. Um, he, he, I, said, I said, how does it make you feel? And he was like, uh, you both love me. And I was like, wow, how, how, do, how do you deal with that? I mean, and, and the fact is, is, let's be honest, we cannot put blinders on. It's very known when we're same-sex married. It's like when people come to me and say, oh, my gosh, look at your beautiful children. They are so beautiful. I don't see color at all. And I think, then you don't see my kids because my four kids are black. Um, it, it's the same thing when it comes to being in a same-sex marriage. You know, how did you, how were you able to explain that? And how do you deal with that? And have you had to deal with any of that within the public eye? Um, I think when we were looking for agencies, that was something that we were really concerned about, um, yeah. you know, being turned away for that reason. Um, and luckily, our agency is, is very supportive of that. And, 
in fact, we've been told multiple times that um, it, it could be a benefit to us, um, especially for kids who maybe have issues with men um, that would be only able to go to a, a single mother or a same-sex um, couple. So uh, I think we've been sort of fortunate um, with our agency that we haven't faced any type of discrimination or anything based on that. Um, but I would say it, it still feels prevalent. Like um, every time we work with a different county, like is that part of their process? Like do they care? Is that, you know, going to be something that influences them? Um, so that's always something that's on the back of my mind a bit. Yeah, I would say that um, you kind of have on the, the flip side, you know, the children, of course, coming into your home. I think a lot of times the younger the child, just like, quite frankly, I experience in society, um, children don't place those judgments on people. It's the other people in their environment to place those judgments on people, and thus they come to a, a, uh, have their own belief system eventually. Um but, you know, the younger the kids, I think, uh, the less you might see that issue. But, um, you know, I think we would just continue to try to draw focus back on um, individual relationships with those kids. So Brittany and I each working to have our own relationship with them um, as well as a, as a couple and that they're safe with us and that, um, you know, we love them and they are a part of the fabric of our family and I think for us, that's what we feel like we can control at this point, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. I, I yeah, get it. Does. It you know? definitely makes sense. Yeah. And, and the thing that, that gosh, you, you, you said this, um, dealing with other agencies that, you know, have that bias, um, especially in today's climate, you know, we, we're looking at states who are, are banning um, same-sex, you know, couples from adopting foster care. Um, I actually had to call out an uh, agency here in our state of Maryland, which, by the way, we're a blue state. We are a liberal state uh, when it comes to we, be, we believe in equal rights for every single person, no matter wh- who you are. But there was an actual agency in our state that refused to talk to my husband and I once they found out that we were a same-sex couple. And by the way, this was only about six months ago. And so we're not talking about 11 years ago when our children first arrived. We're talking six months ago where an agency, um, once they found out that we were a same-sex couple, no longer wanted to have anything to do with us. And so, um, you know, it, it, we have to understand as a country, these children do not care. They do not care. What they care about is the fact that parents love them, that there's someone there that says, I love you, that makes you safe, that makes you feel wanted, that makes you feel like you matter. And those kids who make a decision after being in a home, they make that decision based on the biases that other people have drilled into their head. Um, And that is the reason they've made that decision. You know, it's so important to me that people understand that when we started this podcast, this isn't about being gay or being straight. It's not about, you know, being blue or being red. It's not about any of that. What it's about is educating our public 
that we have 438,000 children that are in the in the foster care system. You know, I, I read something on Super Bowl Sunday where, you know, we could fill four stadiums. Yep. I think, well, the thing that I saw was two. I guess it depends on how big the stadium it is, but is, but yeah, two stadiums with the, with children in foster care Yeah, and the number, and I think there's 125,000 of those children are waiting to be adopted. Parental rights have been terminated. They're not going back with their biological parents and they're just waiting for a forever family. 125,000. 125,000 that, by the way, we're not doing anything to, and I'm not, and I'm sitting here saying, "Oh, market." Yeah, we need to market these kids. We yeah. need people to know that these beautiful babies are waiting for a forever home. I mean, and these kids, the average age is like seven or eight. Yeah, you know. We need to be talking about this. We, one, need to make sure that we're opening up the federal dollars to help these families out who want to adopt. The, the, the cost of adoption is re. Ridiculous, and I, you know, I, I don't know about the two of you, but for my husband and I, um, we could not afford a surrogate. We could not f- afford all of the 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 things that we see so many couples are doing. Um, and then also at the end of the day, we looked at each other and said, "What do we really want?" And we both looked at each other and said, "To be parents, to be parents." We didn't, you know. How can I look at my five kids and say, um, well, I'm your dad, even though our blood doesn't run the same, but, you know, I'm, I'm your quasi. No, I'm your father. I'm your father. You know, one of the things, I, another question I need to ask this, because the we're coming up to the season that, that really sometimes probably affects my husband and I probably more than any other time, and that is Mother's Day and Father's Day. And, and the reason for that is because I read somebody, and as you all know, I'm a social media guru, and I was on, I read somebody's post on social media. Again, I'm not going to call that friend out. And they said in their post that no one will ever know um, the love of a mother more than a child. And without the love of a mother, the child is missing so much. And that was the exact post. It the post was not um, to be cruel. The post was she was feeling a lot of love for her mom at that point. Her mom and she's older, and her mom's older, and you know they they'd given her a lot of support, or that she had won some award or something. And I thought to my heart, um, you know. And by the way, I've had one girl. I have four boys, um, and and I don't feel that my children are missing anything by not having a mother in our home, just like I would assume, and I'm assuming you guys talk, that you don't feel that your child or children who will be arriving in your home are missing something because there's not a father in the house. Yeah, I, I would say we yeah, definitely don't feel that way. I think um, my response sort of to that is that um, as a family and as, you know, Brittany and I as a couple, we have lots of interesting people in our lives that will thus be in our children's lives. And that for us, of course, does include men. And I think it's important for kids to have a mix of people in their lives. I don't know that uh, we need to heavily focus on it being gender specific, but I think it's just good to have different opinions and different uh, viewpoints and, and people that they then could feel like maybe if myself or Brittany could not meet, uh, question for them or something like that that they've got 
you know, people in their lives. I, I like the aspect of that. Um, but, you know, you think about kids that maybe their parents are divorced and thus a parent isn't very present or a parent passes away or they've never really lived with their parents. They've only lived with their grandparents. I mean, families are made up all kinds of ways. And I think drawing, you know, sort of that attention to it ultimately can bring shame to a child. And, you know, that should be, they should be cautious about that. Oh, I agree. I agree. It's the whole reason why we petitioned our school, no more donuts for dads and muffins for for moms, um, because we feel like, think let's not think about the same-sex couples. Let's think about the number of kids whose parents died of cancer or in the war. Listen, ladies, I am absolutely excited the fact that I get to call both of you friends. I'm so excited that I do, whether you like it or not, I consider both of you heroes. I'm excited for you to continue to share this journey that you're on. Um, I know Dana and I, you know, once you um, end up having a placement and and we'd love to talk more about it. We want people to be educated. It's the whole reason we do Fostering Change is because we feel that by educating our public, we'll get more and more children out of these group homes and out of these, as I call, house jumpers, because when we see kids jumping from home to home to home to home, we know that it doesn't do well for them. So I personally... You know, want to say thank you both for being on our show. And every time we end our show, we always do the thing, something. We always ask, you know, and Dana, what is that questions we ask, my friend? We always ask um, if you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? And since we have two people on, since both of you are on, each one of you can um, just say one thing that you would change about the foster care system. And understanding you, you've you've gone through the initial parts, you've gone through the classes, you've gone through by the way the what we have to go through to be foster parents is crazy (laughs) but we do it um you've gone through all of it what would be two things now that you've educated yourself about this system what are two things each of you take one that you would change about the system um i think that i think it's an obvious one and people probably say it quite a bit but it's it's something that needs attention and that is stigma I think there's a stigma assigned to children in the system that, uh, you know, they they basically catch a bad rap, which is completely unfair and unfounded because they're suffering, you know, consequences of decisions that were made for them by somebody else, uh, as well as stigmas actually about caseworkers and, and foster parents. Um, I know, Rob, you've mentioned this before on this podcast, actually, but, you know, the comments about people fostering for money. Um, it's just, I mean, that's just laughable, um, that, you know, that people really think that folks are still in the system, uh, for those reasons explicitly. And, um, I think just people talking more about why it is that they are becoming foster parents, um, ours specifically is that we knew that our, the, the building of our home and our family would be non-traditional anyway. And, So we really care about this path and about helping children and not enough people are, I think are out there telling exactly, you know, why they're in it because that may touch the hearts of some other people. So stigma for me. I think um, for me, the the longer we're in it, we're just kind of learning how hard it is for social workers um, and counties to be able to, to work together for lots of different reasons. Um, it would just be nice if all the 
the rules were the same across the board. So, um, you know, it's there's disparate areas where there's more poor populations in part of the state versus maybe where we live. And um, it, it makes it harder for um, people in our area to, to be able to foster kids far away because the rules are different. They're not sure how to get started. Um, and if that was just a little bit easier to navigate, I think maybe it would be more more people would be open to, to starting that journey. Love it. I love it. And, and I have to tell you, you know, every single time we ask this question every single week, uh, we get so many amazing. We do. An- we always get different answers. Yeah. And I was just thinking about that. Both of your answers were answers we've never received before. Yep. Um, and I will have to tell you the stigma part that really touches home for me because, you know, you both are, are starting this journey. And I will tell you, my gosh, the stipend they pay in our state, state if you use it the correct way, uh, you're not making any money. Okay. You're not making any money. Um, and again, it's not about the money. It's about the love in your heart. Listen, ladies, thank you so much. I, I am so, so excited about the fact that you were on this podcast. You're definitely going to bring education um, within fostering change. And that's what it's all about. And we're going to do this again because we want an update. We're going to reach out to you um, down the road and we want an update and see how things are going. And remember, you don't have to do this alone. If you have questions, if you have anything, please reach out to me. I'm going to be here for you 110%. I know I'm going to see you at our center. Listen, everybody, this is Fostering Change. Dana and I can't thank you enough for tuning in for another week. And um, if you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do, because I've been saying that we were voted the top 20, and, and Dana corrected me today to say, actually, top we, 10. we are the top 10 <laughs> podcast. And, and we're so, so excited about that. So listen, I hope everybody has an amazing, amazing day. And remember the one thing that I say quite often, be a good human. Thank you. Thank you, Jess and Brett. Thank you, guys. Thanks, ladies. Thank Take you. care. We'll talk soon.